We know drag queens and things like that are pretty controversial these days, but <laughs> what famous movie tough guy got his start as a female impersonator? <laughs> Whoa! Oh. <laughs> I wonder. And how did the alphabet get its name? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this half hour of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity. Well, Marsha, movie tough guy, a guy that uh, was Mr. Macho, he started out with skirts. He was a (laughs) female impersonator. Okay, yeah, it's not a new thing, that's for sure, right? No. Uh, Is this an old movie star, a dead one? an old dead movie star. An old dead Marvel star. One of the classical guys. Edward G. Robinson, yeah, yeah, she, Edward G. Robinson, she, (laughs) no, it wasn't Edward G. Robinson, but he was from that era. He was, oh, Here, let me give you a clue. Okay. You dirty rats. (laughs) Jimmy Cagney. (laughs) James Cagney, yes. Here's the story. In 1919, while he was working at Wanamaker's department store, this is before he got into show business. Really? A friend saw him dance and informed him about a role in the upcoming production of Every Sailor that was on Broadway. That was a wartime play. Again, this is around 1918, 1919. Wow. World War I a wartime play in which the chorus was made up of servicemen dressed up as women. So Jimmy Cagney auditioned for the chorus. He knew only one dance step, but it was a complicated one, the Peabody, and he knew it perfectly. Peabody. The Peabody, that was a dance step. And it was enough to convince the producers he could dance, so he copied the other dancers' moves and added them to his repertoire while he was waiting to go on, and he became a member of this cast. And there's even a picture online of a very tough Jimmy Cagney dressed up as a, actually, Good-looking young woman. (laughs) (laughs) He said he didn't find it odd to play a woman, nor was he embarrassed. He said when he stepped on the stage, I am not myself, I'm not that fellow Jimmy Cagney, and I certainly lost all consciousness of him when I put on skirts, wigs, paint, powder, feathers, and spangles. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it really has been around. Like, some people are getting so alarmed these days. I remember Milton Burl. Oh, yeah. When we grew up, he was always dressed in drag. He'd always dress up like a woman on TV. It's not like this has never happened before. Exactly. And it was the uh, only time Jimmy Cagney had to do that. He was in that show for a couple of months. And then he went on to his next show. You'll like this, Marsha. His next show was called Pitter Patter. And he was also in the chorus. And that's where he met a 20-year-old dancer, Francis Billy Vernon. They got married. And their marriage lasted 62 years. 62 years. Throughout all of his Hollywood yeah, history and everything. <laughs> oh, no. Wrong wrong guy. Yeah. No. No. It's J- Jimmy. Jimmy Cagney. He was a female impersonator. <laughs> You dirty rat! Are you making fun of my dress? What movie was that from? (laughs) That's a good line. I like that one. What movie is that from? Get off my skirt! You dirty rat. Remember the name of the movie? I don't know if that was The uh, Citizen. Uh, What was that called? The first uh, public enemy, I think it was. Oh, was it? Okay. My favorite was White Heat. That was one where he he stood up on top of this uh, big petroleum tank and he shouted out, Top of the world, Ma! And then the whole tank blows up. Oh, really? Yeah, killing him. I put away the dress and became a man. (laughs) All right, Bob. Alphabet. How did it get its name? Alphabet. Alpha meaning first or top or best, hmm, uh, I assume it's 
it's Greek, isn't it? Isn't that a Greek word? Yes. Alpha, numeric. I don't know. It's the order, right? Yes. Okay, I help me. Okay. Help it, me. It's, <laughs> actually, you're almost there. It's alpha and beta. It's the first two letters of the original Greek alphabet. Oh, okay, because I always think alpha and beta. I always think first and last, but that's alpha. That's not alpha That's beta. my next question. What are alpha and omega? That's alpha and omega. That's the first and the last. The first and the 24th letter of the Greek alphabet is omega. So I didn't realize that the first two letters of the alphabet were alpha and beta. I didn't know that either. Yeah, so now, yeah, I'm here to enlighten you. Are here you. To help. you are here to help me a lot. Uh, aren't I, though? Okay, Marcia. We uh, knew last week we heard about the hundreds of monk parrots living in the wilds of New York City. Yeah, isn't that weird? Well, I got a little more on that. All right. They don't just live in New York City. Parrots live in nearby Connecticut, too. (laughs) And monk parrots and other species of parrots are in Chicago, Miami, Tampa, New Orleans, Los Angeles, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, and Austin. Apparently, 60 out of the 380 parrot species have breeding populations outside of their native habitats, and it's all a product of the pet trade and animal trafficking around the world. Oh, so they get loose? Yeah. And then they breed. They get loose or they escape or they leave their, you know, their really? homes. Oh, they Par- must miss the jungle. The red mask parakeets live on Telegraph Hill in San Francisco. Rosy-faced lovebirds decorate the palm trees of Phoenix. And parrots are present in all of Mexico's 10 largest cities, as well as, get this, Barcelona, Amsterdam, Brussels, Paris, Rome, and Athens. There's even colonies of cockatoos living in Hong Kong. And Tel Aviv and Singapore. What, people let them go or they escape? Apparently this has gone on for centuries because they know Alexander the Great kept parrots he brought Uh back from India. That was like the 4th century B.C. And the Romans kept exotic parrots as pets. You know, because these birds are interesting, right? They're yeah. social. They yeah. they seem to talk, so people love them. And they're all over the world, not just where you would think parrots are. Right. Okay, want to guess, Bob, how long the longest movie trailer is? The current movie trailer or one that was from the past? It uh, Well, it came out a few years ago. Okay, usually they're... Anywhere from like uh, 90 seconds to maybe two or three minutes. Was there something longer than that? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) This must have been a very long movie, so they put out like 15 minutes of a trailer. No, Bob, no. Really? No. What was it? Seven hours and 20 minutes. That was the trailer for the film? Yes. What what was the film's length? Isn't that ridiculous? Yes. It was called Ambiance, and the trailer came out in 2016 for the movie, which was 720 hours long. Oh, geez. Which is 30 days. Uh, (laughs) I mean... uh, How did we miss this at the local theater? I don't know. I mean, couldn't they have chopped that up into, you know, one-hour segments or something? The the trailer came out, but the movie, I still haven't figured out if it was all out, half out. It was supposed to come out on the 31st of December 2020. Or if it petered out. Perhaps that's what happened. (laughs) And this Swedish director who wrote it and did everything with it, who did this 30-day-long movie, was Swedish director Anders Weberg. Jeez, 30 days. Yeah, (laughs) isn't that crazy? It's about space and time intertwined into a surreal dreamlike journey. 
Boy, it sounds like a laugh riot to me. (laughs) (laughs) It really wasn't meant to go to a theater anyway. He released little bits and pieces of it, and he was supposed to be the only one that saw the whole thing. And And he he was. And he he destroyed it. Lord. Uh, Or he said he did. But nobody knows. But the trailer got a good review. Well, it was only how long? Seven hours and 20 minutes. (laughs) All right, Marsha, I have a food question for you. Mm Mm-hmm. What vegetable can farmers hear growing? Oh, really? Oh, oh that's interesting. And it's, oh. I think it's one you're familiar with. Corn. No. Can't hear corn growing. Can't hear lettuce. Well, what vegetables can farmers can hear don't. growing? Because it grows so fast? Yes. Um, oh, sunflowers? No, but it's got flower in its name. Okay, what is it? Cauliflower. Really? Yeah, it can grow more than an inch every day. And Britannica.com says when cauliflower florets press on each other, they emit a creaking sound that some farmers liken to the popping sound of Rice Krispies. No kidding. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So cauliflowers are vegetables farmers can hear growing. Well, I think I'll plant some just to hear it. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun? That would be. Okay. (laughs) Oh, Bob, Ukraine has requested an Iron Dome to deal with the Russian invasion. Mm -hmm. You know what an Iron Dome is? Yes, that's the Israeli anti-aircraft system, basically, that shoots down aircraft from missiles and things like that. Good for you. I didn't have a clue, but I should have known you might have a clue. Okay, yeah. And it was developed in Israel, and it has a 96% success rate in, in intercepting rockets, and Ukraine wants it, is asking for it. Let's go a little farther west in Europe, and I'm going to ask you this question. What is the only Western European country without a McDonald's restaurant? Oh, the only Western (laughs) European. I'll give you a choice here. Oh, thank you. France, Norway, Iceland, or Denmark? Iceland. That's it. Ah. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. It's the only country in Western Europe where you can't grab a Big Mac and some fries. Why is that? Well, they had a currency called the Krone, and it collapsed in 2009 during the global financial crisis. Uh-huh. When that happened, McDonald's closed its four Icelandic outlets because importing food products came at an extremely high cost. Oh. And McDonald's couldn't supply what they needed, so uh, they collapsed all their restaurants and ah, to this day you can't buy any mcdonald's food there i'll be darned i just read the other day i was reading the cost of a big mac in various countries and i thought uh you know they're pretty expensive here in america now yeah, yeah. did you know that well i haven't bought one in oh, years i still thought they were around a buck 50 but no not well even you there. think everything's a buck 50 <laughs> Jesus, always offended at prices that have changed (laughs) over the past 25 years. Hey, I got another question here. Just one more food question. Sure. What fruit was once so valuable you could go to prison for stealing it? How long ago? Uh, This goes back 200 years ago. Oh, all right. So this isn't recently. No, but a man was, uh, was sentenced to seven years of hard labor for stealing some of these things. Really? Gosh. Uh, it's a fruit. It's not native to England, so it was something that had been imported. Okay, it's not a truffle, because no, that's no. more recent. So is it like uh, chocolate or something? No. What was it? Pineapples. Really? Yeah, from the 16th to the early 19th century, pineapples were so valuable in England 
that security firms were frequently hired to guard them. <laughs> hey, I, I need a I need a team up here to guard my pineapples. Got a shipment in. Yeah, in 1807, a British man who stole seven pineapples. He was sentenced to seven years of hard labor, but not in Britain. In an Australian penal colony. For God's sake. He shipped them all the way to Australia because he stole seven pineapples. That's how valuable they were. That's almost as bad as Jean Valjean in Les Miserables. Yes. Stole a loaf of bread. That's true, right? Yeah, seven pineapples. Okay, Bob, you've heard the expression, got his goat, meaning he gets upset. Yes, yes. Wonder where that came from? Got his goat. I got his goat. That must have been... Some kind of country where goats were a commodity you traded in. Uh-huh. So if you got somebody's goat, that was probably like buying his car or stealing his car or uh-huh. his horse or something. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that would be like somewhere in Switzerland, yeah. well, one of the alpine countries where there are goats up in the mountains. Uh-huh. Very good. Absolutely wrong, but very good. <laughs> but you'll like this answer. I had no idea. It's a term that comes from a horse trainer's practice of putting a goat in a stall with a skittish racehorse to keep him calm before the big race. Oh, really? Yeah, you'd think a goat would upset you. I would think a goat would upset a horse. Apparently, racehorses kind of like it. Uh, But if an opponent of the horse or a gambler betting against the horse, he might arrange to have the goat removed by a stable boy, which would upset the horse and reduce his chance of winning. Wow. So if you get his goat, it upsets the whole apple cart. I, I had no idea that's where it came yeah, from. Yeah, that's really an old phrase. That is and very it, arcane. What an interesting story, Yeah, I though. didn't have any idea that's what it Got his goat, and it came from the race, race horse, horse trade. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, Marcia, I have the name of uh, four states, and I want you to tell me which one of these states' name ends with the two letters <laughs> the post office uses as an abbreviation. This is like those numbers things you give me. I give you letters here, okay? Mm. Okay, let's look at Iowa. Iowa, we used to live there. What's Iowa's two-letter abbreviation when you write? I-A. I-A, okay. So one of these states, which one's name ends with the two letters of its official postal abbreviation? Okay. Illinois, Mm -hmm. Arkansas, Kentucky, or Alaska? Uh, Alaska. A-A? Well, that would be K-A, Marsh. That's the last two letters. Oh, the last two letters. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah, Illinois, Arkansas, Kentucky, or Alaska. Which state's name ends with the two letters that are its official postal abbreviation? Kentucky. That's right. There you go. Kentucky's postal code is KY, and that's the last two letters of its name. It's also the first and the last letter of its name. Kentucky starts with yeah, a K and ends I, with a Y. Yeah, that's I was thinking as I noodled that. Those two-letter abbreviations have been around since 1963 when the post office department introduced the five-digit zip codes. Only one abbreviation has been changed since the two-letter codes oh, were introduced. Which one? What state used to be NB, but now it's NE? Nebraska. That's it. It was changed in 1969 to avoid confusion with New Brunswick, Canada. Oh, okay. That was kind of fun. All right, time I for thought a break, it was. Bob. I thought it was fun, Marsh. You didn't uh, think it was fun, but I oh, thought it was it's fun. fun. I'm having great fun oh, listening yeah. to that. Okay. Got a break? Well, it's not time. All right, time to take a break. <laughs> 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 You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. 
We're back. I'm Bob. <laughs> I'm Marsha. And you're listening to The Off-Ramp. We do this every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, for its internet radio station. And then we put it on podcast platforms and we're heard all over the world. Okay, Bob. What house plant can go seven years without water? Wow. <laughs> That's my kind of house plant. I was going to say. So is it some kind of cacti or cactus? No. 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 Is it something that I would know of? Is it uh, obscure or is it? Uh, well, I never heard of it. Okay. And that means you probably haven't heard of it. So this is the plant that lives for seven years without water. Yeah. And it turns into something that we do both know. A butterfly. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm just getting things mixed up. <laughs> Here, let me tell you what okay. it is. It's called uh, Rose of Jericho or the Resurrection Plant. It's a native to northern Mexico, parts of Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. If this plant dries out, it bounces around as a tumbleweed. Oh, no kidding. But once it gets water again, in just a couple hours, it spreads out ferns and turns bright green. Wow. And you can ignore this bit of flora for up to seven years, and it still will resurrect itself. Wow. That's, That's amazing. It is. I don't know if that means all tumbleweeds. If they tumble to some water, they turn green again. Gosh, it's amazing nobody has promoted the fact that, hey, you don't have to put any water in this thing for seven years. Yeah. You'd think they would uh, yeah. market it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what's it called again? The Rose of Jericho? The Rose of Jericho or the Resurrection Plant. The Resurrection Plant. Yeah. That's appropriate. Yeah. Okay, Marcia, we've talked about the most populated country in the world. What's the most sparsely populated country in the world. Now I'm talking about least dense population, so a landmass that has hardly any people in it. Is it in Canada? It's not in Canada. I'll give it's you a choice Afri here. Okay. Mongolia, Chad, Russia, or Australia? Oh, could be Australia. But it's not. Ch uh, Chad. It's not. It would be, I think. Um, you got two choices left, what's Marsh. What's left? Mongolia or Russia. Russia. No, Marcia. <laughs> <laughs> Deductive reasoning dies a terrible death there. I could hear it screaming. Oh, my God. It's Mongolia. That's what I thought. Of course. <laughs> On the fourth try. Between China and Russia is one of the world's least densely populated landmasses. Mongolia It has an average of five people per square mile, which is sparser than any other country. Only a few Five people, people square per mile? square mile oh. at the most. Wow. Now, the population is pretty good size, 3.34 million, but yeah. it's still one of the most sparsely populated countries on Earth. Huh. Interesting, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'll be darned. You probably didn't know that each finger has three bones, and our thumbs have two. But the question is, Bob, how many muscles does each finger have? How many muscles does yeah. each finger have? Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> I'll say 22. 22. My gosh. Why not? Got three bones and 22 muscles. Yes. Zero, Bob. Zero. Oh, no <laughs> muscles at all in your no fingers. No muscles. Human fingers are controlled by the muscles in your forearms and in the palms of your hands. They have none of their own. Hmm. How about that? Well, okay. You told me. <laughs> I've got a question for you. What word that we associate with toughness actually describes a mouse? What word that we associate with toughness actually describes a mouse? Oh, Guess what, Marsh? What? It's the word you just asked about, muscle. Really? Muscles, contractible animal tissue, bundles of fibers. The word muscle derives from the Latin musculus, 
literally a little mouse. Huh. That's because the shape and movement of some muscles, like your biceps, were thought to resemble mice. No kidding. So that's how it got its name. Well, would have never guessed that. I was looking desperately for that when you were asking me about muscles. Yes, I got a question here about muscle. <laughs> really? Yeah. And you found it. Okay. Yes, I did. You know that the Chinese name each year for an animal, right, Bob? Mm-hmm. The year of the rat and all those. I'm a rat. What are you? I don't Probably know. Probably <laughs> a donkey or something. No, what? I'm not the year of the donkey. <laughs> anyway, you know I love following my year of the rat horoscopes on those Chinese placemats. It gives us something to do waiting for our... Our meal, yes. Yeah. Okay, but anyway, how did that come about? Naming different years by the names of different animals. You know the story behind that? The mm, legend? No, I didn't know anything about it at all. No, me either. The story goes back for centuries and centers around Buddha inviting all the animals on earth to visit him on New Year's Day. Oh, no kidding. But only 12 animals came. The rat, the ox, tiger, hare, dragon, horse, snake, sheep, monkey, rooster, pig, and the dog. They're the only guys that showed up, Mm. according to this legend. How many? (laughs) Twelve. As a reward, the legend says that Buddha honored each of the twelve with a year of its own. I'll be darned. So that's how that all came about. I just remembered what I am. I'm the year of the rabbit. Yeah, I remember that now. The bunny. I always called you the bunny. The year of the rabbit. So it's the rat and the bunny, and so far so good. The rabbit, Marsh. (laughs) Is that not... (laughs) Manly enough for you, Bob? Well, you could say the year of the hair, <laughs> but I'm losing that. No, you, all right. <laughs> all right, Marsha, another word question for you. All right, I do like those. What expression for a serious meeting once described drinking parties? What word that describes what we would say, oh, this is a very serious meeting, once described drinking parties? Uh, yeah, you go to a conference and people have a sim... Sim- Symposium. Symposium. <laughs> I knew you'd get it. Yes. Symposium, yes. Symposium. Today's symposium is typically used to describe a meeting of experts or a published collection of articles on a subject, but the word was first used in English to describe a sort of drinking party. The word originally comes from the ancient Greek sympinium, meaning to drink together. <laughs> but, you know, I know a lot of people go to symposiums and they drink. So that, you know, Yeah, it works. And you and I can have a symposium later on today. That's right. Okay. I know we've talked about old cities in the world, but what's the oldest continuous inhabited city in the world, Bob? I thought it was Damascus, Syria. No. Or Jerusalem, one of those two. No. Very, very old cities. No. Could it be? (laughs) Could it be a city in Iraq? No. What part of the world is it in? Asia? No. The Middle East? Yes. You're so helpful with... What's that? What is that, Marsh? What are you doing? And the walls came tumbling. Jericho. Yes. Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world. Continuously occupied. Yeah. Yeah, it's the oldest city in the world, still with people in it. Archaeologists have discovered settlements in Jericho, part of the Palestinian territories, that date back 9,000 years ago, before Christ. Yeah. They go back 9,000 B.C. The city's located near the Jordan River in the West Bank, and it's home today to approximately 20,000 people. Jericho has been inhabited for more than 11,000 years, and the settlement there in 8,000 B.C. is thought to have been inhabited by between two and 3,000 people who lived within a stone wall built by the community. Oh, and the walls came tumbling down. Yeah. 
during so the that's battle. where that song came from. Oh. And so there were 2,000 to 3,000 people who lived there, and they built a wall. And that's in the Bible, of course, you know, one of uh-huh. the ancient books of the world's history. Uh-huh. And yet, you know, they say human beings have been around for millions of years. What happened before 9,000 B.C.? The, uh, there were no well, cities? I don't know. You know, I mean, yeah. why don't we have any records of anything before about seven or eight or 9,000 B.C.? Well, they no had, writing or anything, you yeah. know? Well, they hadn't learned writing well, yet. Well, what did they do? What they, did those people do? How did they survive if they couldn't do anything for millions of years? They drew pictures. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> okay, one more one more question on animals here. Okay. Where did the early bird gets the worm expression come from? Okay. How far back do you think early. that goes? Oh, gosh. It's there an were English no, expression. Uh, there were no birds and worms for, I don't know, till 200 years ago. So I would say... What? <laughs> I don't know, Bob. Tell me. Okay, this goes back to 1605 in a book of Proverbs by William Camden. The idea behind the expression is that the birds that wake up the earliest have the best chance of catching a good meal. Uh huh. Since no other birds have gotten up to pick up the worms. And yeah, I never really thought about it, but that makes that's sense. That's what it means. Yeah. But it's so interesting that sometimes it's just shortened to early bird. You know, well, I'm an early bird. Uh huh. Or he's an early bird, that's why he's doing so well, you know, that kind of thing. Have you heard that bird outside our bedroom window? It starts like 3.30 in the morning. I know, it drives me nuts. What's it doing at 3.30 in the morning? Coming home from last call. Anyway, 400 years ago, 1605, the book of Proverbs by William Camden. And that's where the early bird expression was. All right, I'm going to finish up with one longer than usual quote by Abigail Adams. John Adams' wife. Yes, she was quite something ahead of her time. She fired this off in a letter to her husband, John, in 1774. While you are proclaiming peace and goodwill to men, John, emancipating all nations, you insist on retaining absolute power over wives. Remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not put such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. If particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation. Boy, that was a warning of things to come, wasn't it? 1774, and she's firing this off to her husband. I could imagine her writing this down. What's she doing this, John? Just don't forget the ladies, Johnny. (laughs) We will rebel. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, they did. And he was such an odd duck. Yes, but he was. I, I, if, remember Paul Giamatti playing yes. John Adams in that series? He was so good PBS? for that. Oh, my God. Because he's a strange guy. He is. <laughs> and uh, it was so fascinating. And John Adams was a, a bit of a strange guy. Well, she was headstrong, and they had a very good marriage. They wrote a lot of letters. There are all kinds of uh, letters that survived their marriage. Because whenever he would go off to uh, Congress, uh, they would communicate that way and by letters. And they kept all the letters. Kept all the letters. That's uh, amazing. It is. It's very cool. All right. Did we ever keep any letters of ours? Just cards and things Bob, like that. Bob, I've kept everything you ever wrote me. You never kept anything of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Including the first words you ever wrote me. I kept every one. Your first words to me were five words. Want to go for a walk. Want to go for a walk. You left it on my computer. <laughs> All right. And your first words to me were... Who the hell are you? Yes, Bob, we've covered that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but anyway, yes, I have saved everything you ever read. Oh, thank you so much. That's so sweet of you. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I've saved yours, too. Yeah. Your few cards and things you've given me over the years. <laughs>
little. I'm a verbal person, Bob. A shred of thing here, a little, uh, a little. snippet of notes here. <laughs> you can listen to these Jagged tapes. piece of paper over there. <laughs> All right, wrap it up and talk to our people. If you'd like to participate in our show by contributing a thought or a uh, quote or a question for me to ask Marsha or her to ask me, Go to our website. Theofframp.show. Theofframp.show. Yeah. Good. Love to hear from you. Yes. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. We'll be back in another week with more fun facts and tantalizing trivia here on The, the Off-Ramp. Off-Ramp. You dirty rat. <laughs> Let it go, Bob. Okay. <laughs> the Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.